This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hamling and well this review show is being recorded directly after a 2-0 defeat versus Wolves who literally finished about 20 minutes ago. I'll introduce you to my co-host in just a moment. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. That co-host is Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. Hello. This is all very formal for a 20-minute rant that we're about to go. <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, dear, dear and I last time out decided we were going to do a you know, 20 to 30-minute unscripted rant, and it went on for an hour. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I know how much you like to keep things short and sharp as much as possible. And every and every week I try and torment you by making things longer than necessary. So I think I'm not going to be able to avoid doing that. But even I will struggle to stretch it too far, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if you can make this last an hour, then uh, fair enough. You're the Paul Daniels of uh, podcast. But yeah, I can't see it happening. There's not much to say on that, is there? Come on, mate. That's, that's out of order. How dare you call me the Paul Daniels of podcasts? He didn't get pulled up in Operation U-Tree, did he? No, he didn't. No, no. Absolutely. Let's make that very, very clear. He did not. Um, he was, by all accounts, a lovely man. Uh, very driven, very career-driven. Uh, very unique individual. But I do not believe there, was any, there were any particular skeletons in that closet. Um, I'm drinking a beer called Yawny. Do you think that's apt? It is. I'm drinking Holston beer. Uh, I'll tell you what is apt. Um well, I put a tweet up a minute ago just saying, you know, we're podding right now. You know, if you see this, put some comments. So Teets McGee has said, at least we can count on you guys to show up every match day. That's my comment. So cheers, Teets. Yeah, like the uh, preview show went missing this last week, didn't they? Just, uh, you know, just thought I'd get that little dig in there. You know, not not all of us are that committed, are we? So I thought, uh, you know, Albert and Sam were keen, weren't they? Uh, well, Terence does have a young baby, so let's give him some, cut him some slack on that. If make yeah. make excuses for him is what you mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, 
okay, admittedly, I've got nothing in my life, but that's not the point. That's not the point. Let's um, let's get into it. We've got um, got a few tweets and, and messages and things like that to get through um, in terms of live reaction. But I think, Mike, I've got to start with with your own reaction, really, as to to what you've just seen. The lineup was obviously that element of excitement in it because it looked a bit different. Schlapp had come in and it turned out to be a four four two with him playing on the left with Tyrick Mitchell behind him. So, Ayu and, and Zaha continuing up top um, with Townsend on the right. Um, I have to say, fears before the game were in the centre of midfield because I was fearful if Schlupp was played in the centre of midfield, but he wasn't. So I was fearful there were only two people in the centre of midfield. And I think that that told in the end. But, you know, how was your, your pre-game sort of opinion when you saw the lineup? How did that sort of pan out against what you actually saw? Little bit of a smile, but I have got to that point where I didn't really give a toss. Uh, glanced at it. Put the TV on at about ten past eight. Um, you know, I caught the um, I caught them taking a knee, and that was it. Um, I mean, first, oh, probably the first half an hour, I thought we actually played really well, and um, I didn't catch Hudson's post-game comments um, because we we recorded him, but did catch the the Wolves post-match comments, um, and they rightly pointed out that Palace really stretched them. Um, well, they they said in the first half. Um, I actually think it was, um, you know, it was another individual mistake or a couple of indi- individual mistakes that led to their first goal. And at that point, any confidence was just sapped out of the team, as would be when you've lost six and now seven on the bounce. Hodgson's longest ever Premier League losing streak with any side. So, you know, it's not surprising. You've got very fragile mentalities. But before that, I thought we played really well. Schlupp looked sharp. Um and um, people were playing off him nicely, so it was a bit of a shame. I think some, so, you know, what you say is very, very true because you could see the faces on some of the players that the cameras focused on when the first goal went in, and there was the, you know, the sort of combination of resignation and, and the look of disbelief because, as you say, we'd started the game okay, but one feature of that was we were very sloppy with our passing at times. You know, the number of times in that in that half an hour we were keeping possession pretty well, but the ball was being played behind players. I just couldn't quite grasp why we were struggling so so much to actually make what were very simple passes. And in the end, you know, it's Townsend playing an unnecessary out of the outside of the foot pass when, you know, realistically you, you have to clear that. You know, we we were trying to absorb a bit of pressure. You've, you haven't got an out ball, you have to you know, you have to really just clear your lines and, and give yourselves a chance to regroup. Didn't do that, and it cost us. Yeah, well, interestingly, I think we had the most luck with with long balls, um, and it was very direct, and it was it, it seemed to work. Um, Schlupp was getting on the end of balls. Townsend was was taken down, um, you know, taking on the Benteke role, um, but you know there was some urgency about it. So there was some short passes that went off, um, and you know people can't now say it's just Milivojevic because he wasn't on the pitch. Um, but the long balls were re- really working, and they're the first—I think—the first ones we've done since since lockdown. Well, first ones this first ones in years. I can't even remember the last time we did stuff <laughs> like that. Well, we have you know when Benteke's up there, we do we do use him as an out occasionally, but you know just yeah to play deliberately direct. And if you think about back to when Schlupp was in the team before the before the injury and was being pretty effective playing it you know out on the left and, and coming inside, he was quite often. You know, I think that's the goal against Man United, wasn't it? When he won a won a flick on header and put Ayu in for a for a really good finish. 
Um, and he was, you know, he was a target. But I think, you know, he was obviously understandably off the pace. So he, he faded quite rapidly in the game, which I thought nullified our, our intentions. But ultimately, what, what was really clear is that we didn't have that that level of sort of desire and commitment and energy as soon as that the goal went in it just went and you ca- you just cannot get it back i think that part of that and i'm not in any way trying to make excuses for the players or for the manager but part of that is when you're playing a team that is pushing for europe and have something they have to desperately trying to play for when ultimately we have we do have nothing to play for um, and it, it can affect teams you know we we've seen palace in the past when they had nothing to play for, put in some tremendous performances. But, you know, this this project restart period for us, it's, it's very much not been the case. Uh, and today that was extremely ev- evident. The confidence was gone. The energy was gone. And unfortunately, there was nothing from the sidelines in terms of trying to change it up or do try, you know, try and tackle some of the problems we were seeing. It was just a case of let the game play out and what will be, will be. It feels like it's progressed from um you know not having a lot to play for being on the beach whatever you want to call it to dread um and and, and worry uh, Zaha what Zaha's expression when the goal went in wasn't one of oh shit we won nil down it was oh my god this is groundhog day this is getting ridiculous you know I'm one of the best players in the league and it's this is it, we're going to be seven defeats in a row um today um, West Indies collapsed and, and England got back in the Test Series, which is why I'm taking this game slightly better. Um, <laughs> but as happens with, with fourth innings, um, you know, trying to save stuff, is exactly how I think Palace are treating things now. They're, they're just trying desperately not to lose. But, you know, panic is setting in and that's why we've seen more unforced errors in the past month than we did in the previous nine. And... Um, I don't see it changing before Spurs now. And I don't know. I think Paris has got a, a call to make. Um, I, I, well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some, some something I saw on Twitter, I think it might have been DR that posted it, which was in, since uh, the return to, you know, to post-lockdown football, Palace have scored four goals and conceded 17. And that is the most, um, you know, the scoring four goals, that's quite Palace. But the conceding 17 goals, that's not, what you what you would typically expect from a Roy Hodgson team, you know we've always everyone sort of talks about Palace, particularly the, you know the pundits and the neutrals. They're like, oh, you know they're hard to beat. They've got good shape. They don't concede much, and we're not that anymore. Um, and you know you can argue all you like about the fact that it's a, you know it's down to circumstances, injuries, form, fatigue, whatever you like. You can argue that as much as you as you want, but it's more than that. It, it's a mentality thing. You know, and I said this on Twitter earlier on, and it's been the theme of the season, and it's it's something that's bugged me about Roy for a long time, and I've I've basically had enough now. And it's that I, from how he talks, from how we set up in every single match, even the ones that we play well and we win in, we we always approach that match from first thought: how do we stop the opposition playing? How do we how do we nullify their threat? And once we've done that, you know, if we've got time, maybe we'll have a look at what we can do. And I, as a fan. I understand this is an easy thing to say, but as a fan, I want to see my team go out and make the opposition think, make the opposition work really hard to stop us. I hate the fact we turn up in every single match 
and you know how we're going to play. You know the team that's going to be selected. You know the substitutions that are going to be made if they're made at all. You know everything. You don't have to have any kind of thought process as, a, as an opposition manager. They might as well not bother scouting us. They can just put a video in of how we've played against anybody and just easily, easily set up a team to just mark Zaha out the game and then just attack down the flanks. And, that, and that's all they need to do against us. And we will be beaten by the overload. We will stop, you know, fail to stop crosses. And we will end up getting out of position in the midfield as we as we panic or either drop too deep or try and get back in the game and, and lose our shape. So, you know, at the moment, you, you've got, you look at the manager and you look to next season, you look at a transfer window and you just don't, how can you possibly have any faith that it's going to be any better? Well, a stat for this calendar year, played 18. We've lost 11 of those, uh, obviously, of which seven is the last seven. But we, we've only amassed 15 points in those 18 games. That is proper, proper relegation form across half a season. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into some of the comments from people now. Um, they're, they're- I, I, yeah, I do. I Just just before we do, though... Um- I just want to get into the the nature of the things that Roy's been saying of late, um, and, and then we, we'll, it'll probably drag us drag us back into um, into the comments in a bit because a lot of them are going to be about Roy's future. So, obviously, pre-game, you know, you put this out on the back of the Nest Twitter. I, I put a tweet out myself. Um, he talked about effectively not wanting to play young players because. He didn't feel comfortable leaving out senior fit players who would give him a potentially better option at winning football matches. You know that that's him talking about a period of time where we've got nothing to play for at all. Uh, a fatigued squad struggling with injuries. We picked up more injuries today because players are playing every three days or every four days, and they're not getting the rest time. They're not getting the preparation time that they need. Um, and we've got an older squad where injuries are more common and he is failing to manage that and justifying it. And but in, in this, I don't understand the logic you've lost, you know, at the time he said it, we'd lost six games in a row and he's talking about not wanting to lose games by picking different or younger players. And let's, and let's get, you know, to the point, we're not necessarily talking about putting out a team of academy products. We're talking about starting with the likes of Mayer and Riedeveld. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? And you know, giving giving the 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 players who haven't got the experience some experience, because how do you get? You know, he talks about players who are inexperienced and young. How do they become experienced players? How do you know if they can play at the top level? Yes, you can judge people to a point in training, but you have to give them that sink or swim moment at times. You have to give them those minutes on the pitch when it actually matters to a point you know you saw Mitchell today he had a horrible time against a very very good player in Traore but you know he was direct very early on he was ambitious he looked relatively comfortable I think you know Sacco going off was a huge blow for him because clearly the idea you know they'd worked worked probably a couple of days in training with Sacco being close to him and you could see he was pointing and organizing the whole time and you could see that positionally Mitchell was having a much easier time before Sacco went off injured. But, you know, there was pace there. There was directness there. There was belief and confidence. There wasn't, he wasn't playing with fear. And the more you start mixing it up a little bit, you know, you, you can inject that little bit of energy into your team. You know, someone who who wants to win their place, you know, give 
say to Max, you've got four, you know, back, you know, a few, a few weeks back. I'm going to give you the last four games, Max. Prove prove your worth. You know, play playing the position that you want to play. Do the absolute best you can possibly do. Prove your worth, and you could do that to you know three or four players in that squad, and see if you, if you can get something out of them because that potentially influences what you can do next year. It might solve a problem for you. Oh dear, but we didn't get any of that, and, and I've lost faith in Roy a lot just on the things that he's been saying. I, I don't know how you've felt about his his you know pre and post match comments of late. Well, I mean, aside from the fact I, I haven't heard the post match for this game, um, really odd ones in, in as reported in the South London Press this morning. Um, we tweeted them out. I I don't understand. It feels like he's trying to get himself sacked. Um, you know, putting himself in a in a very difficult position. It, it, it felt like it was a an actual direct reply to whoever put that um, banner up. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, apparently didn't stay up particularly long. But it, I was wondering earlier if Parrish did actually have a word with him and say, you know, look, there's 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 fan pressure here. And that's how miraculously Mitchell ended up starting. Because um, it seems, I, I wasn't even expecting that. You know, I didn't expect to see Gyro sitting in his um, in his full tracksuit. I thought he'd be out there. So, um, yeah, I, I've been a bit bemused by his comments and then even more bemused by the fact that he didn't and he seemed to do the opposite of what I expected today with the starting eleven. So I'm I'm even more confused. Sorry, I was in the process of trying desperately to look up Roy Hodgson's post match comments if they if they currently exist. Um so I'll keep doing that as we talk. I want I wanna go into a comment that will, before we uh, just read out the others, there's one from Eagle Eye View, which I believe is Chewy. He used to work on our website, so from this parish. Oh, yeah. Um, don't just slag off Roy. Parish and co have left this squad to get into this awful position. They've not backed him. They've taken advantage of the safety Roy brings and the fact his age makes him less likely to complain or walk out. Players need to look at themselves too. Thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> You know, look, Chewie's been been a been someone who's defended Roy a lot and, and pointed at the players, and there's always some truth in all of those things. And you know, I think it was a, an excellent piece in the Athletic by by Dom Firefield, even though I've given him some grief over it. But um, it, you know, talking about how you know you, you sh- we shouldn't panic and get rid of Roy now, given the circumstances that he's worked in. You know, and they have been difficult circumstances in terms of the investment in the squad. It has been low, lower than a lot of um, the other teams in and around us in in the league. Um, he has been a victim of the fact that even when he joined us, we we were spending an awful lot of our turnover on wages. So it was very difficult to to freshen up that squad. You know, people were at the time under contract on, on higher wages. A few of those contracts are, are coming towards an end now, so there's a bit more flexibility in there. But you know, he's had to kind of work with what he's got to a point, but. You know that's that's only one tiny aspect of of looking at Roy as a manager and how he's performed. Because what you what you cannot say about him is that he has been in any way flexible in that he's taken any kind of a, a approach of trust in his players. You know he picks his favourites and he might have good reasons for doing that. But the problem is when it fails, he he essentially, in my view, accepts failure. As, as par for the course. And that's something that we all, as a, as a fan base, turned on Alan Pardew for very, very quickly. 
that he talked about long runs of bad form being part of just part of football and just acceptable. So whilst I understand people talking about Hodgson and saying you can't just blame him, I think it almost week by week, game by game right now, we are seeing the negatives of Roy Hodgson being exposed. We've talked long and hard about the positives over the course of the last few years, but there are negatives to his approach. And right now, the negatives outweigh the positives. Producer Mikey has done some sterling producing work here and uh, given us comments on what Roy Hodgson said post-game. Um, There's no doubt if we're going to do better, we've got to solve the problem and improve our possibilities in the striking area. We kept going and lost Sacco early on. To lose three of our four centre-backs is not ideal. I can't criticise the team for their efforts. It's a really bad spell. The lockdown has not done us a lot of good. We conceded an unfortunate goal just before half-time. Before that, we'd kept them quiet. There you go. So solving that problem. And funnily enough, we got some comments on this and I'll, I'll dig them out as I'm speaking. Um, so I, I was you know, talking about during the game, Yet again, our set pieces were, were terrible. And I said, surely, you know, top of the list in the transfer window um, it's, it's got to be trying to find a player or more than one player whose delivery is, is consistent and has technical quality to it. Well, it's got to because, be Harry Kane if we're keeping Roy Hodgson. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Get Kane in for some corners. Oh dear, what do you reckon his goal record would be for playing for Palace? I have, I, I reckon, maybe seven a season. Oh, yeah, he'd be up there with Shamak, I think, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and a lot of people replied, oh, you know, it's more important we get rid of the manager. But one or two did did chip in and say, you know, I think Mark Drew was one of them. Um, I can't, can't, I've got so many uh, replies, I'm afraid I can't get to all of them. But definitely Mark said that the forward position is more important. But, I, you know, I fear, I fear getting in another striker. If you think about some of the players we were after, if you, I mean, look at how Solanke's sort of fared at, at Bournemouth. I don't think it would have been a different story if he'd come to us when we when we went for him. You know, who knows whether or not Tosson would have would have, you know, played consistently well had he not got injured. We don't really know that, but I fear any striker who joins us, even if they're initially have you know have a decent impact. I think over time the way we play, it's not it's just not conducive to to a striker getting lots of chances a game. And when you start, you know, as a, as a forward, when the chances you get are are not consistent, so you're not getting the same type of chances every game, and when you're not getting enough and you're not getting them, you know, regularly, it's, you know, that's what, in my view, Benteke has struggled from the most. You know, he has lost form and, you know, as, you know, as an individual, he seems to have lost pace uh, and certainly lost confidence. But, he just, to me, he didn't. He was not getting consistent service. So it became a point when he was getting a chance. He wasn't prepared for it anymore. It wasn't automatic in his head to, to take that opportunity. You know, we saw a few goals here and there where, when he was playing on instinct, he was able to, you know, put the ball in the net. And, you know, the Chelsea game sticks out for me where he just, you know, chipped the ball over the keeper. That was all instinct. But I think any striker in our team under Roy is asked to do a defensive job. Is asked to lead the line, hold up the ball primarily, and then add goals after that. And I just don't see how that's going to be any different unless Roy shakes things up. And, you know, is Roy going to shake things up? Absolutely not. Yeah, the only option is to get a striker that really feeds on scraps, that, that confidence doesn't play into it. You know, someone like a Bamyang, but you're, you're talking about players of such high quality 
of such expense that it, it's not going to happen. So you're, when you said you're afraid, I'm the same. I, I just think that we could ruin the career of any player in our current situation that has got a good record with goals. And it's not even necessarily worth choosing one that has. You know, IU didn't have a great record, got in for two and a half million. He scored nine goals. Um, so it could be a player that isn't necessarily someone that you'd think would be the old fox in the box um, that ends up being the right striker. So God knows how they choose who to who to go with. Um, do, do, do you want me to start reading stuff out and you just yeah. comments yeah. and you dive in when you want to reply to them? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Steve Foster, and we've got a lot of replies. I'll try and read them all out. Uh, Steve Foster, art of tripe every single week. Can't wait the foot for the football to fuck off again for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that, yeah. Uh, Warren B, get him gone. I think there's going to be a few of those. Uh, Will Luck, <laughs> don't see what the fuss is about. We defended the 2-0 very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I've definitely got to jump in there because it, it, it's so funny, but it's also alarmingly quite true because that that was the moment where it's you know you get you get one almost every game you get a Roy moment it just that just sums up the mentality that we have right now and it's we go two nil down he's, he's got the opportunity to make a change to do something different just how are we going to get back in this game take Jeffrey Schlupp off put Jairo Riedeveld on I mean where where does that come from what was Okay, shifting system to have three in the middle, was that going to get us more creative? It's, the game's gone by that point. So all that we ended up doing was exactly as been joked about there, defending a 2-0 defeat. So, yeah. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp. 0203 575 1266. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Um, <laughs> this person's now just called Roy out. Um, I was wondering if they were before the game. Only two, Roy out, and we need a complete transfer policy overhaul this summer or this time next year will be a championship team. Uh, King Louis, when will Palace play a system that suits our best players' strengths? Lack of downhill attitude. We've definitely discussed that plenty before. Yeah, Steve, I do. Now- very, sorry, very, very quickly. Do you want to jump in on that? Yeah. And just say that one of the things that I've been moaning about a lot over the last couple of weeks and getting a bit of traction in discussions at the moment is the pace in our side. Where has the pace gone? How have we managed to negate Wilfred Zaha, one of the quickest in the Premier League? Absolutely one, you know, one of the fastest players in the Premier League. Completely negated his pace. Andros Townsend as a winger running down the wing, it just doesn't exist anymore, you know? And he's he's been taking a bit of flack for that. And I'm not sure it's necessarily his fault, but he is no no longer really operates 
like he used to as a winger. You know, Jeffrey Schlupp coming into the side today, you could see the benefit of having someone who at times would run with the ball at pace. You know, he got got an opportunity to score at one point. And it's just, but that, that has been coached out of the side. That has been, our tactics have nullified our own strength in that respect. And that, that's a killer, killer blow for Roy, in my view, in terms of when you're talking about our future. To do that to that squad, the squad that was built on the ability to counter-attack at pace, to frighten teams, that's all gone. And that that's down to him and his coaching. Imagine what he could have done to Nathaniel Klein, eh? Um, Mike Deacon, massive squad overhaul needed. Do it fast and get the squad ready for next season. Several first-teamers need a fresh club. Well, they might be thinking that, yeah. We need a fresh squad. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Red and blue, Dave. Time for Hodgson to go. Go for Eddie Howe or Jedinak. I reckon we'll save the discussion for other managers. We'll see what the news um, is like. I, I, you know, Parrish is, is not a quick mover with this kind of thing generally, but then Frank De Boer pissed that idea up, so who knows. Uh, King Louis, when will Palace play a system that plays... No, I've read that already, sorry. Yep. Uh, Stephen Nash, uh, Parrish needs to take control of the management situation before, without fans calling for Roy's head. That's an interesting point. Obviously, they're not there to give him shit. Roy has been a good servant and done a great job and should be treated as such. Move him upstairs or mutually agree his retirement. What do you think I've, on that? I've got to jump in that because I've seen this this phrase so much. Move Roy Hodgson upstairs. What does that mean? What what are people asking for? What does he do upstairs? What's upstairs? I've seen, well, I've seen what's upstairs at the Celeste. There's the boardroom. Um, but but what what you know what's he going to do there? We've got a director of football, so what we replacing putting Roy in and replacing Dougie? Is that what we're doing? What, Wait, what's the upstairs? Right you know, I don't yeah. know. But this this idea as well that you know, oh, get a young coach in and get Roy to to mentor him. Why, why, why would Roy want to do that? I don't think that's you know he's a football manager and, and he's not you know <laughs> I don't I don't see where people get that idea from. I find it I find it weird. If, if Roy is to leave the managerial position, you know he's got to leave the club. And frankly, he's got to take the staff with him as well because I think we need we need a complete change. But yeah, I, that's that's a weird idea for me. But I do completely agree with the, with the idea that Roy is deserving of respect. You know, in none of my in none of my comments and my tweets have I insulted him. Well, maybe privately, but um, but certainly not publicly. Um, I, I don't want to call him names. I don't want to disrespect him, and I don't, don't doubt that he's doing the best job he can possibly do. So I, w- I would agree with that part. He is deserving of respect. But, you know, time has run out and that's the opinion of a lot of fans. Not necessarily our, our opinion that does count. Um, it will ultimately be down to the discussions that have been had about the future already. You know, Roy's been talking about them in the press, hasn't he? Been talking quite clearly about the aim for next season, the, the work that he's doing on the squad. Uh, if, he is, is, if he is sort of in synchronicity with the, with the board, then we're not going to get, we're not going to see that change and we'll have to judge what happens in the window and, and how we approach next season. Yeah, okay, let's roll through some more um, so we don't get people uh, deciding that we've we've talked on for too long. We'll give it a go. Asante Man, the team seems incredibly bored. That's definitely seemed to come across a little bit. I mean, that's I, I, I'm sure they'll protest that, but there's no push from the players at the moment. It's frustrating watching players give less than 100% in these final games. I think that the future looks bleak at the moment. The manager's so set in his ways that he seems scared to make changes as his pride will be irreversibly damaged. And for those hoping that Mr. Parrish removes him, I think that mid-table season on season offers a pseudo-stable income. Can I ask you a question on that? When he talks about the players looking bored, 
Um, you, you can factor the fans' approach into that as well. How much do you think this this sort of fabled stability of having a manager for a long time? How much do you think that has an impact in the fact that you know typically managers don't stay you know as long as, as even Roy has? I mean, it's it's not very common in the certainly in the top division. Okay, not everybody's at Watford, and you know we've had our own managerial stuff in the past, um, repeatedly changing things. But you know, it's the fact that Roy's just been here a long time. Is that part of what's down what's what's caused this malaise with the fans and the players well look Premier League players get paid a fortune fine but essentially you can relate it back to your own work experiences and when you've got a manager that doesn't inspire you and one that maybe sticks around a long time and you can get away with less um you know the, the natural thing to do is to do that and obviously it's slightly different in that Players are playing in front of people, they're on the TV, um, so they're scrutinised by other people, not just their manager. But um, it's it's only natural. So it's not surprising if you don't find your manager inspiring, you might be less inspired yourself. Now, I'm not saying that they don't find them inspiring. I don't know, but um, it's possible. Um, right, so Matthew O'Connor, Dan Ward, Sacco, a shadow of um, what they were, uh, what manager could do more, with those, uh, Wilf clearly's had enough now, and without his spark, there never is or was anything. So um, that's player-related reasons. Uh, and then Mark Jones has replied to that with simply, "I dislike Roy Hodgson." <laughs> he said that a lot this recently. Yeah. I, think. I, I think he's turned into a bot. And I find it amusing. Um, Ian Briggs, you can guess the way it will go on Sunday. Harry Kane hasn't scored a hat trick since his return. Um, yes, I just did a. Um, a little five-minute segment about Palace for a Spurs podcast yesterday and pretty much said the same thing. Interestingly, we haven't scored against Spurs in the league since January 2016. Jimmy Hurst, no chance this can get sorted with a six-week pre-season and no money. We'll be pretty much the same starting eleven this first game next year. Well, look, that, that is a huge fear, the fact that how quickly the, the you know next season comes along. Um our record in the transfer window, even I, I don't think we're in a no money situation. Um, I think if you know, the, even if you look at the evidence that's out there, the Wan Pesaka money is is now there. It's it's all been paid up. It's it's effectively able able to be spent on on transfers, and you know we haven't spent a lot over a quite a long period of time. So I don't actually think money is necessarily the issue although we will continue to do what we've always done which is look for value in the market not overpay for players um and you could argue we failed in some areas with that but you know the the approach won't be different but and th- that itself is is you know a fear because you know we always say this every window we've got to act early we can't just wait till deadline day to try and make signings because our history of that of late is lots of signings failing on deadline day you know, we know Ferguson is lined up. Hopefully that happens. Um, and there's, you know, five or six other players um, that have, have been strongly linked um, from, from good sources as well. Um, and we'll see how many of those come off and see how many of those join West Ham instead, really. But, um, you know, we, we're definitely out there looking. We're looking at young, promising players. We're going to have to pay um, to get to get those. But, you know, time is not, not our friend. You know, and if... If you add changing a manager into that, which you know, you know, now my colours to the mast, I believe we have to. But you know, that it's not my, it's not my decision that counts. Um, but if you added changing a manager into that as well, um, 
you know that's a, that's a really really tough thing to do in a very short space of time. So yeah, I agree with that. I, I worry about next season dramatically for, for those reasons. And I worry too that Nigel Pearson is currently without a job. Um, Hadley Smith, we'll look back in a few years after some of our promising youngsters have moved on and regret not using this time to give them some games. We've had an opportunity to have a proper look at four to five young players who could have been part of the solution to our old squad next season. Um, yeah, and it does seem like you think back of the, the the days in the Championship where it was a lot easier to do that kind of thing. It was amazing to watch them come on, but obviously it's not so easy to do that in the Premier League. Yeah, well, we have to we have to accept the fact that those young players might actually not be up to it. We have to accept that that might be the case and that might be the judgment of the of the managerial staff. And but you know, I, I worry more about the players beyond the current crop as well. You know, we've got a very very promising group who have just become first-year scholars, and we saw one of them on the bench uh, in this game, um, John John Comanio gordon who's, uh, you know, who's come on leaps and bounds over the last couple of years and is, is an extremely promising young player. Uh, didn't get on, of course. Uh, why would he? We had to use two subs. Why would we bother using any more than that? But, you know, those are the types of players that I worry about because, you know, I say, there's some real, real talent. And there's plenty of articles out there if you if you check out the Palace Youth Twitter account and and some of uh, Matt Woosen's articles on the Athletic, he talks a lot about the young players there. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of promising stuff. But do they see a you know a path through to the first team right now? You would you could argue that the Premier League is mostly responsible for that, but but the manager's definitely responsible for for not providing an obvious path through to the first team. You have to re- effectively what he's what he set out his stall to say is you have to rely on two or three injuries or suspensions and you might, might get a chance. If you get him some wine. Worthing Eagle 87, we've ridden our luck the last few years relying on the fact there'll be three worse teams than us. If we don't invest this summer, I think our luck will be up. I love Roy and all he's done, but we need some new ideas. We've had decent talent going to waste and not being utilised. What I will say on that is I was fearing that exact same thing this season because uh, I thought we had a less strong squad than we did the season before um, and we did relatively well. But then again, I feel that that was a lot to do with A, um, two players playing out of their skin and and, and B, some, some really um, lucky late goals from IU. Um, Thomas Lopez had to turn it off after the second goal. Palace did I die, but the heart I know the squad has just isn't there. No fire, no heart, no passion. All that starts at the top. Need a whole squad overhaul. Need more youth and pace all over the pitch. Um, what do you think? I mean, saying no heart, I'm always a little bit... I find that a little bit harsh on them sometimes. What do you think, Amber? Well, from from the times we've spoken to, you know, many, many players, um, you know, they are... When, when we've talked about that kind of criticism, um, I think probably Peter Ramage was the person we talked to most about it. You know, he talked about the fact that, um, you know, players players sort of, I don't want to say the word get offended because that's probably not what he said, but they, they, you know, they are affected by the idea that people have in their heads that they don't care because, no, they're not supporters, but they care about their team and their football club in a, in a very different way. It's not it's not the same as being a supporter, but you're when you're playing a team sport, you're accountable to everybody in your team and you have to have that cohesion and that togetherness so when uh you know when a fan comes out and says you guys didn't try today you know almost 
certainly, barring some weird individual exceptions over the years, Kevin Miller, there are players, you know, the players have tried their absolute best. They've gone out there. They've been given a, a set of tactics and a plan by the manager. Um, again, that only goes so far because ultimately, once you get out on the pitch, it's players versus players. And sometimes your opponent gets the better of you and there doesn't seem to be anything you can do about it. Um, and I relate that back to um, a comment I think Johnny Williams made once when it, we were talking to him outside of Sellers uh, once. And someone asked him randomly, like, oh, why are you playing long ball? And he said, well, the manager doesn't tell us to play long ball. It just it just kind of happens. And that was he was very young at the time. But I think what he was trying to articulate is, you know, when a, when a team is pressing you or, or playing you in a certain way and, and, you know, putting you into a little cul-de-sac and your only option is to hit the ball long, you'll hit the ball long. So we, we're we in danger, really, of, of you know, when, when you say a player doesn't care, I think you, you know, you're right to be to be slightly cautious of that, Mike, because I don't think it's not caring. Like, at the moment, and I know Terrence tweeted off of, off his, his account during the game and said, I would not accept anyone telling me that these players give a shit today. And I know what he means by that as well. But, you know, there is a, there is a level of professional professional pride in, in an athlete who has to get to that level to play that sport at the highest level that will exist no matter what. But the margins, the little extra bits, you know, the bit when you're, if you're fighting for Europe or the bit where your team's playing well and you're confident, those things make such a big difference at the highest level as well. So I think it's an easy criticism and it's not, not true apart from in a, in a minority of cases where players are dickheads. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I also kind of know when you when you say no heart, no passion. Um, I think everyone kind of knows what you what you mean, and and to an to a extent, it, it can be true. But um, yeah, I totally agree. It, it's not that it's not for lack of them wanting to have heart and passion. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there are so many comments, and they're coming through fast, and I'm reading them. So seriously, thank you to everyone that has put them in we're not gonna be able to get through them all so I'm just gonna pick some at random it's not because if your comments not read out it's not because it's not better than anyone else's it's just um it's really hard to follow which ones I've read and stuff so uh Greg Van Hesteren hope you pronounce your name right Greg start to look at our director of football what has he done in terms of recruitment did the board have any interest in the team I think that's a longer term issue that we've discussed in the past and I'm sure we'll discuss again starting the, the the transfer window on July. Yeah, it is, it is another one of those um, things that, that crops up every now and then. And, you know, you, the director of football, you have probably, you, well, you have much less visibility than you even do of how the manager approaches stuff. So it's very, very difficult to actually be able to pinpoint things that you're criticising because you don't, you just don't know. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, whatever Dougie Friedman has done as director of football has been exemplary or has been terrible. I, I can't possibly tell you either way. Um, you know, sometimes you hear little bits here and there about things and, you know, not really for me to repeat or anything like that. But, you know, he, you know, he, he has an employer who, who will identify if he's doing a terrible job and, and he'll be out of a job. That's what I would say in, in some respects. But I think, you know, fans criticising him because ultimately, you know, we, we are a football club that has a director of football that looks at deals and provides options to a manager. We've had that explained to us a few times. That's how the transfer system works at Palace. You know, players' positions are identified by manager and, and staff. Uh, we have a scouting network, a head scout and a director of football who identify 
options for those positions and it's up to the manager to agree whether those are the right options or not and then the the rest of the time we're going out and trying to make those deals happen and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't but you can't say it's been an outstanding performance from a director of football based on the little information we have visibility of but we can't possibly really make that judgment and that's my point there let's judge him when he inevitably becomes our next manager shall we um james crickler I'm lucky enough to have gone on holiday today. We'll let you know if I come across any of the players. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> J- John James, handball at nil one. Why no penalty? I don't even remember that, actually. Um, I've struck that from my, from my mind. Yeah. I, I, I don't actually know. I do remember it. It was, um, it was at the back post, I think, and it just just ahead of uh, Zaha coming at the back post, I think. Maybe. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, but yeah, it didn't even get looked at or really claimed for. Okay, I'll leave it with a couple of more comments. Andy Johnson's magic hat. Good luck, lads. I'd rather take my toaster in the bath than have to talk about that shite. Um, <laughs> well, it's been, it's been all right so far. And and let's let's end with Lee Berman. So cheers to everyone. And they, they're still coming through. Um, we will read them all and we can use them as discussion points and, and jumping points for um, other pods coming up because we've got a load coming up. But Lee Berman, for those that want Roy out, who is the manager that will come to CPFC? Hashtag CPFC, who will do a better job with this squad? Well, I think first and first and foremost, it's hopefully not going to be just this squad. It will be, it'll be this squad plus some badly needed additions. Um, really tough question, isn't it? Because you know you so you can only really talk about managers that you're familiar with, and it's really the same old tired names. You know, a few weeks ago, people were talking about Sean Dyche, and you're now looking at Burnley pushing right up the table and you'd ask the question, why on earth would he leave that, you know, where he's loved and he's got comfort and he's got a team playing for him to come to a team that needs an awful lot of work in a very short space of time. Why would he, why would he do that? Um, Not, not a favorite of mine either. You know, obviously Bournemouth are likely to go down and Eddie Howe may well become available and has been chased for the palace job in the past. So logic would suggest that he might be an option as well. Personally, not a fan, <laughs> but but um, that's mainly because I find him incredibly creepy. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you look on with kind of jealousy at the character of someone like Bielsa at Leeds, don't you? Where, you, you know, you, all the stories you hear about him, he's, he's a complete maverick, uh, obsessed with football, goes goes that extra mile in terms of, of the research that he does. And, and he's done a tremendous job at Leeds, but obviously he's now taken a massive club that in, in Leeds into the Premier League and won't be leaving there in a hurry either, um, especially with the money they're paying him. So, you know, it's you don't know who you just don't know who's about um and, and who has interest. But I, I will say I do think, you know, Palace are a an attractive club and at times we as fans forget the lure of a team like Crystal Palace that has been in the Premier League for a long period of time now. Is is based in London, which is uh you know which is for players and, and managers alike is is quite enticing, um and you know we we have got some exciting stuff going on, not least that that Cat One Academy that, that begins next year, playing playing at the highest level in academy football, um you know if a, a manager who who wants to be in for the long haul and have a, a long term vision about building a football club and an identity, would see Palace as a really attractive proposition, not Nigel Pearson. Well, I think I'll just say one more thing and then let, let you um, let you finish up. But um, I, when people say who's going to be better than Hodgson, um, I think it tends to reflect somebody's mentality. So that 
when somebody goes, I want him out now, they might be somebody that's a, nat- a natural risk taker in life. Somebody that says it's not going to be better or, you know, don't, don't assume things are going to be better might be the kind of person that naturally doesn't take those kind of risks in life. So um, that, that argument between people tends to be quite circular and, and you'll, you, you'll get the same people who'll be up for a, a change uh, even with the next manager uh, more regularly. But what I go on for myself is would I be devastated if the manager changed? So when Allardyce left, I was absolutely gutted. When Steve Bruce upped and was a total bastard, um, I was absolutely gutted. Um, at other times, when I, I've been a little bit sympathetic for managers, as I am for Hodgson, if he goes, it wouldn't bother me. So that's my gut reaction. Um, it's not one that I think is is going to stress me out. And I think that there will be somebody else that can do a decent job. Um, and if, you know, if the risk doesn't pay off and it's somebody poor then it's going to be at the start of the season um and it can be rectified again um you know if, if they're rubbish in the first 12 games so it, it's not uh, the situation where they're trying to save a season or anything like that and you've got to choose very carefully so I think all the cards are kind of in Parrish's hand if he does get rid of him um, there's a yeah there's a lot of things in there isn't there I mean first of all we act at times like there's certainty that Roy would keep us in the league and you know right now I don't feel that that's anything like the case for next season you know, so this safe pair of hands argument it, it is, it's you know, it's very subjective, objective, one of those two. Um, but also this idea that you can't call for the manager's head unless you've decided who the replacement's going to be is quite a bizarre place to, to argue from, isn't it? You know, it's not really, you know, it's not about what what the alternatives are because I mean that almost it's almost the same argument with the team isn't it in terms of how Roy sets up and the tactics and the squad <clears throat> excuse me those defending Roy tend to tend to go along the lines of well look at what he's got to work with he can't possibly do anything better and you just think well how do you know how 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 what makes you think that this is the only way that you know the optimum way for this squad to play because you can certainly point at, at individual players who are in a system that doesn't suit them. You know, you can point at Wilfred Zaha's last season and a half, really, and just say, look, we're not getting the best out of Wilf, and that's not just down to him as an individual. Um, you know, and you can point at various other players like that. So it's the same argument with, with the with the managerial situation. Will is there anyone out there who can do better than Roy Hodgson? Almost certainly there's multiple options that we could do better than Roy as well as a multiple option that could do worse. And as you kind of indicated, Mike, it's almost potentially a little bit of luck as to which one you get. And so much has to come together, doesn't it? You, you have to build, you know, get a manager in who can use the players that are staying in the, the best way possible in a system that he can come up with to communicate to the players really quickly and also knows the players that he wants that are reasonable, obtainable. We get them. They gel, all that kind of stuff. It's a horrible, horrible job to take on from anybody. And that's why part of me thinks we won't see a change because of that short turnaround and, and how much of a massive ask it would be for anyone to come in and, and develop things straight away. You would almost say the thing to do, Mike, would be to sack Roy immediately now uh, and give yourself this final game and then the break and then you know the preseason to give yourself the best opportunity to do something different. Trump Harry the Hornet by not giving the manager two games, but only giving them one. Um, <laughs> and and 
one thing I would say on that, um, and then I think I'm done, is, um, you know, someone like the Cowley brothers took on Huddersfield, and that to me is a is a riskier a riskier deal than than Palace. So, um, you know, there are decent managers out there that take risks. Absolutely right. And look, you know, just drag us sort of back to to sort of summarising the the game before we end. It's you know, it, it was it wasn't a terrible performance and a lot of the reaction is, is indicating that it was. It was just uninspiring yet again. And as the game wore on, you, you kind of felt less and less connected to what was happening on the pitch and the decisions that were being made off it. Um, and it, it felt to me when, you know, when Dio and I recorded our last podcast after Villa, wasn't it? That felt to me like the watershed moment where, where Roy lost everybody. And, you know, barring a few brave souls, you know, that is still very much the case today. And as you've said a couple of times, Mike, it's a, a massive, massive decision coming up, I, I feel, um, in how in how we progress from here. Um, and I think we will uh, we'll leave things there. Uh, as Mike said, thank you very much to everyone who got in touch um, and continue to get in touch throughout the, throughout the show. Just an insane amount of contact. We, we sadly couldn't get to it all. Um, this went on much longer than we thought, didn't it, Mike? Well, I'm not deep down. I don't think it is. <laughs> you, you, you. But, um, but obviously, yeah, hope you uh, got something out of it. A lot of people found the last rant after the match quite cathartic and hopefully you feel the same. So uh, cheers for listening. Thank you, Mikey, for producing. Mike for joining me. And we'll speak to you all again soon. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.